We believe that alcoholism is a disease and that Alcoholics Anonymous is one solution to that disease. I'm here to bring you the voices of its members. Everyone that comes on the show, including myself, is an active member and has found recovery in the rooms of AA. As you listen, please take what works for you and leave the rest. Okay. Well, I'm very glad you're here. You can go ahead and start with your name and your sobriety date. My name is Tara. I'm an alcoholic. And we're here on Keep Coming Back to listen to your experience, strength, and hope. My name is Stuart, and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I got sober May 29th, 1986. And uh, that day, I had been on a three-day drunk. And I woke up, and I had some remnants of cocaine on the glass top coffee table, beer cans strewn everywhere, and I knew something was going to happen that day. I had a shotgun that was loaded and under the coffee table, and I remember thinking, okay, Something's going to happen. And I got up, and it was like something was driving me to go to the phone. And I called this guy that I knew was sober, and I told him that I needed help. And he said, just wait there, and he came and got me. And we drove to my work. It was like I was completely sober because I had, I was really... I had really been drinking a lot for for like three days, and I was like perfectly sober, and I was awake. It's like something had happened to me. So we went to my job, and I talked to this guy, and I said that I had a problem with alcohol and that I needed to get help. And he was so kind. It was like um, he, he was so proud of me for getting help even though he didn't realize I had a problem with alcohol. And for a moment, I thought to myself, oh, my God, I'm early. I'm too early. I could have done this another, you know, three or four years. Uh, but I kept going with it. And he was telling me, it's funny how when you tell somebody that that you're going to get help, they start thinking about things in their life. And he was telling me about how he, he wanted to shoot his brother-in-law once and started telling me all these stories. And... Um, and I was just amazed that he was he was so okay with everything. And so I left it. My, the guy that I called, his name was Randy. He was my first sponsor. He took me, and I, I told him, I, I don't want to go in there sober. So we stopped, and we got some peppermint schnapps. And I remember drinking that on the way to rehab. Uh, and as I went into the rehab, I had the bottle tipped up drinking the last part and I threw it in the trash can right as I walked in and I remember thinking I don't want to I don't want to think that I could have drank a little bit more when I went in there so I did that and I remember it was the best it was the best hangover I ever had because they gave me something I think it was librium or lithium or something like that and it was the best hangover because I didn't have any headaches or anything it was really good Mm. But I was scared to death. And I remember they um, 
they did all these chalk talks and they brought in my ex-wife, my girlfriend, um, my son, and they did all these interventions where they wanted really me to see myself and my alcoholism through other people's eyes. And, um, and that was probably the most painful part of getting sober was starting to care a little bit about what happened because when I was drinking, there was no caring about anything and I didn't know I was ever going to care again. So it was, it was like the things I did made me feel so shitty about myself that it was, um, it, it, it was difficult to get past these feelings of guilt. Um, and how I became an alcoholic was, uh, I, at 13 years old, I went to a party and uh, somebody brought some alcohol and it was really, we, I mean, I was having a great time. My grandfather was out visiting my mom and somebody at the party called my mom and said, uh, Stuart doesn't seem to be feeling too well. It seems like somebody's brought some intoxicating liquor and you probably need to come and pick him up. Well, actually, I was having a great time. So it wasn't that. You know, I, I wanted her to pick me up at all. But they came and got me from the party, and uh, they made me throw up, and there was all these things. But it was oh, it was like uh, I was okay. I, I didn't want any of that stuff they were trying to, to make me do. They were scared of alcohol poisoning. And um, the next day, I remember everybody came over to see me and see how I was. All of a sudden, I fit all of a sudden, I was famous. All of a sudden, I was really part of this clique from school. And it was really, it was, it's like I spent my whole drinking career trying to get that back because, you know, life is a little bit uncomfortable, you know, when you're trying to fit in. And at eight years old, uh, my mom we were, I'm one of seven kids, and we were moving from Kansas, and we actually weren't moving. We were just going to go see my aunt down in Oklahoma City. And we went down to visit her, and, you know, with seven kids in the car, you hear all these rumblings, and people were saying that we weren't going back and that there was a problem with dad and that mom was leaving him. And I was the middle child, and it's like the big kids were talking about this and the little kids didn't know anything. And I was saying, that can't be true. There's no way that we're going to do that. And I was so convinced. It was, and we went to my aunt's, and we had a good time. But when we left, we went to California. And she did leave my dad. So that was my first experience about trusting women. It was like I, I really couldn't wrap myself around. And what happened for me is I, I, I created this really big burden at eight years old that I was now in charge of the family. And I was in charge of their protection. I was in charge of everything that went on. And when we got to California, we were really poor. We lived with my my uncle for a while. And then uh, my mom got a job. And um, when I got my paper route, I started contributing money to the family. And so I developed this sense of entitlement. And... Those are parts of the the alcoholism story for almost everybody that, you know, we, we get this sense of entitlement and it carried into everything that I did. I used to pay my sister to do my chores 
And when I found alcohol at 13, after all of those burdens that I'd experienced up to that point, it was almost like uh, God said to me, this is your answer for everything. I loved alcohol. <laughs> it was like my friend and I used it and used it until, you know, it stopped working. Uh, but I used to go and live with my dad in Kansas. Um, so I went my freshman year in, in Kansas uh, and I was from California, so I was a freshman president, and there was a lot of it was really nice. It was one of those years that, you know, I I I wasn't, uh, I kept my drinking to a minimum, and it was really a good year. And then the second year, I did my sophomore year at um, in California, and we had these riots at school. We used to live by uh, uh, Cesar Chavez. And it was during the AFL-CIO strikes and all of that stuff, and it was really a dangerous time. And so when I was a sophomore in high school, we we had this big riot where there was police and teachers in the middle. There were all the white people on one side and the Mexicans on the other side, and somebody threw a rock. And it was like the whole thing was getting ready to explode. And I remember after that, I didn't care much for going to school at all, even though I fit in, you know, with the it didn't matter who who it was. I I had this chameleon kind of effect where I could kind of fit into any group and my drinking was really getting bad. And I started sniffing paint and doing anything that I could to get out of this reality. And they expelled me from school. And uh I went to, so I went back to Kansas and I had enough to start my junior year because California and Kansas were on different tracks. And so I started my junior year in, in Kansas. And after about three months, there were these big riots at, at high school again, but they were whites and blacks and a bunch of my friends got got jumped and the whole school was on lockdown and I just stopped going and I was drinking a lot with my buddies and I remember we were we were drinking and driving I was drinking and driving because I was the only one old enough to drive and I remember we we had a wreck I was driving I guess I had the wreck and uh, we intimidated the guy because there was like four of us and so, of course, we drove away, nothing happened, and I remember feeling like, oh, my God, I felt so bad about what we had done, and I, I had to do something. So I told my dad that I had this problem, and I was going to try to go in the military. So I tried to join the Navy, but they wouldn't take me because I wasn't 18, and I walked across the street and joined the Army, and my dad had to sign for me, but I went in the Army, and I remember... Uh, Boot camp was down at Fort Linwood, Missouri, and I went in on the buddy system because I knew this one guy that wanted to go in, too. And so we went down there, and we went to uh, basic training, and about two weeks in, there was this party in Illinois. And this the guy I went in with didn't want to go, but I wanted to go. And so I went AWOL, and I came back, and I had to start over, and I never saw that guy again. I feel really bad about that, too. 
So I, uh, I I went to Korea. I got really. I mean, the beer and the and the cokes. Beers were cheaper than the cokes over there. So I got in a, a lot of trouble in Korea, and then I came back to the states. And I remember there was a girl from high school, and I thought, you know, this might be a good time to get married uh, because I was getting out of the army. And uh, my drinking was just completely out of control. And I remember this girl, she had had come over to my house at like one in the morning because I wasn't through drinking. And so I had this misplaced and this this loyalty to her. And I thought I should marry her. And so I did. And uh, then I had a son and my drinking just continued to get out of control. And... um, when I got divorced, and I got divorced because my wife had an alcohol problem, she didn't like my drinking. Her dad was an alcoholic too, so the, of course that didn't help matters. Um, but the reason we got a divorce is because uh, I stopped drinking for like a year, and it was miserable. Um, I, I just couldn't do it. I, I I thought I could, and I couldn't. And I remember when we got divorced, she still wanted to stay together. And I, I, she she looked at me and she said, you know, I always thought if I loved you enough, you'd stop drinking. And I remember how shocked I was because as an alcoholic, you're such a tragedy to be loved by anybody because there's this there's this drive to to get away from from anybody that confronts your alcoholism. And so for me, it was really, it was really one of those things that I was going to respond. Well, if you knew I was an alcoholic, you would have never asked me to stop drinking. It was, you know, that's how it was. So I was divorced and I was living in uh, that uh, converted out garage in San Jose. And that's when I called that guy to get sober. And when I went into the rehab, um, we did all these uh, chalk talks, like I said, and uh, they really, I really remember that it was time that I really could do this. And I, I went through 30 days of detox with them, and then I got out. I got a sponsor, um, and it was Randy, the, the guy that had taken me in there, and uh, all of a sudden I started working the steps with my sponsor um, I started seeing how some of the things they were saying were right and that um, it really could work if you worked it. Um, I know that... Um, I know that uh, I, I was really scared, and I didn't know. Yeah, I went to meetings every day, and um, and I didn't like I didn't like Alcoholics Anonymous because I, at first, because I I didn't like that they talked uh, about their feelings and they talked about God and. And there were so many ways, but I, but I did the work. I went ahead and started doing what they said. Uh, I got a commitment at a meeting. Um, I started, uh, I did my fifth step with a priest uh, that I thought would, 
uh, not be around because he was visiting. And then come to find out he was moving there. So I started seeing him at meetings. And all of a sudden, I, I realized that, you know, uh, I was going to have to do this thing or I was going to drink again. Um, I went ahead and uh, started getting well, and I started hanging out with these guys in Los Gatos. And one guy started celebrating his birthdays with me, and we had five years sobriety. And I remember my son started uh, wanting to spend more time with me. And the one time that um, he told me that he was really proud of what I had done, and uh, and I I didn't know what to do. It was uh, it was one of those where I had a lot of good defenses against um, any of any any of the emotions that I was starting to have, but I didn't have any uh, defenses about the joy. And when I started seeing my son, he was the most important thing in my life. And I realized that uh, that I had really not done him a service by my alcoholism and that uh, it was really difficult. Uh, and I just, I was terrible in relationships. I... I remember, you know, once I got sober, I once I started getting back to being in relationships, I decided that I wanted to try to help and do something different. So I started working with kids from alcoholic families, and I started doing groups. And I started seeing the effects of alcoholism, and it really affected me, and I wanted to do more. And so the first thing I did was I, I thought I was too old to go back to school, because I had gotten my GED in the Army because uh, I had quit school. And so I went back and got my bachelor's degree, and then I wanted to do more with kids or and work with uh, people in general. I remember giving my, my ex-wife $100 to go buy herself something so that I wouldn't have to deal with her emotions. And then I went into the field of psychology where uh, I'm a marriage and family therapist where that's all I do is is deal with people with feelings. So things really changed for me. I started doing, uh, you know, groups with alcoholics. I started seeing uh, clients individually. I got my master's and uh, I became a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, I went ahead and got my pilot's license because uh, I just decided I wanted to fly. There are so many ways you get your life back when you stop drinking. It's like, you know, the things that they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's a little microcosm of your life. And I started growing even in the meetings. Uh, you know, the meetings are a little microcosm where you get to see all of the ways that you interact with people. I remember the people that I hung out with at Los Gatos, uh, we used to go to dinner and it was like a scene from Seinfeld because we were all so connected. There was so many ways that, you know, we had grown up together in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, today, I, I, I got remarried, and uh, I've been married 15 years now, and I couldn't have a commitment for six months, and it's hard to believe how it happened. Uh, I, I just, it's like my life is so big and complicated that 
uh, it's hard to even tell the story about it because it's um, it's so personal. Each person, each of us has this real deep personal story. And Alcoholics Anonymous gives us the opportunity to really retell it and re- relive it. And so... I I don't I went to meetings, you know, every day for five years to change my thinking and now there's this level of tolerance that I have for uncomfortable feelings that I don't have to drink anymore. It's like I don't I don't go for it. Uh, but in a nutshell, I still go to meetings. I don't drink and in the early days, you know, just not drinking was enough. And then you start working on the other things. You know, you start working on, I stopped smoking. Uh, You know, I really wanted to do better. I'm better in relationships. When I learned how to say, you're right, I'm sorry, that changed all of my relationships because everything changed. It was was one of those things that, that helps me. It's like, it's like, don't quit five minutes before the miracle. That has helped me in so many ways where I felt uncomfortable and I really just wanted to get out of out of the situation. Uh, in the old days, I would get out of the situation and it didn't matter if I left. I would just leave emotionally and so you wouldn't be able to have a relationship with me even though I was present. And today, uh, I I care. I care about what people think. Uh, I care about what people think when it comes to my behavior. This self-examination is something that you start doing, uh, and it it explodes. It's exponential. It's like you go to a meeting just to stop drinking, and all of a sudden, you start working on not being an asshole. You start working on, you know, being kinder, gentler. I... Um, I can't believe the relationships that I have today because I do care about, you know, other people. I care about the influence that I have on them. I care about, you know, being being part of uh, a group. I I I always wanted to, you know, lead, follow, or get other way. And today, I just want to be one of many. I um I know that I I have really rambled. But it's really difficult to tell a story that has so many caveats and it has, you know, so many, there's so many ways that this could have gone sour so fast, so easily. One of my sponsors was 15 years sober and he went back out and he started uh, getting successful. And so he went back out. And I remember going to meetings with his wife until Eight years later, he comes back in, and they were divorced, and he had lost the kids. He had lost the house. So it doesn't get any better. It's really nice to see, you know, that I'm on the right path. And my spiritual path was uh, uh, about five years sober into the program. I uh, decided to go back to the Catholic Church, and I called the parish that I was going to go to, and— I said, I'm thinking about coming back to the Gallic Church, and uh, uh, I'm not sure what to do. And the guy on the other other end of the line, he said, uh, Hallelujah, brother. We're so glad you're back. And it was this really funny Monsignor, and I started seeing him. He was a marriage and family therapist. He was a priest. And I saw him for like a year weekly, and we talked so much about, you know, spiritual beliefs and that I could 
take what I need to leave the rest and I could go back to it. And so I did. And I also found out that I could take any group of people and I could really resent them enough to never see them again. I could do that with Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, I could I could go to meetings and I could do that, you know, where, you know, but my level of tolerance for people has really increased because there is a love in Alcoholics Anonymous that I found that has transcended over into my spiritual life in church. It's transcended into my work life. It's transcended into everything that I try to do. So Alcoholics Anonymous has really given me my life back, and I really am so happy that I have got back to, you know, having relationships and being able to be here. So that's it. Thanks. Thank you, Stuart. You talked about a career change, and I remember you sharing how you made that career change in terms of the decision you made and what you had to do. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, I remember reading reading something. Uh, somebody said something about Ann Landers saying that they were they were too old to do something. And I remember her response was, how old would you be if you didn't do it? And I was jogging one day and I was thinking, what if I won the lottery? If I won the lottery, I could pay everybody off. And what would I actually do if I didn't have to worry about finances or I didn't have to worry about anything? And it was, I thought about it. I said, I'll go back to school. And then uh, f- later on, I said to myself, well, why wouldn't you do that? It doesn't matter how old you are. So I remember I sold everything that I had and I got a cat so I wouldn't get in a relationship to screw things up. And that's when I started going back to school and I went to doing my bachelor's and doing my master's was really a difficult process because I I didn't go to school. I, I quit most of the time. I'd been expelled from eighth grade, a Catholic school. And then I, I quit all the other schools. So it was like this was so new to me. But, yeah, it was one of those things where there was just this inspiration about, you know, what should I do with my life? And so and what happened in with my master's degree is I was in class with this woman and she was just a friend. And we we had this year long class together and we became really good friends and she moved away. And then we ended up working at the same place. And that was my wife that we got together But the problem was, because we were friends for so long, I had told her so many things about me that I would never have told anybody I got in a relationship with. But she knew everything about me. So we got together, and there were so many ways that I had to unwind some of the things that I said as a friend. So, But at least I knew that she would love me anyway. So that's probably what created part of that commitment. (laughs) So. This is this is really special for me because when I came into the rooms, you were the one face that I would look for in the Saturday morning meeting. I knew that you were a family marriage therapist, and every time you spoke, it resonated with what I was going through at that time. So I call you one of my pillars of my sobriety, and as a matter of fact— When I was about 
to relapse for the last time, which I did not, I can go straight to the liquor store or left to go home. It was your words, and you had mentioned it in your chair. You had said your level of a, a tolerance for uncomfortable things has increased significantly. And something you often say is, you know, this will not kill you. This will these, this will pass. This is uh, uh, feelings and uncomfortableness will not kill you. How do you say it? I'm not saying it right. About tolerance and how these feelings will... Oh. Your your tolerance for uncomfortable feelings will will be raised in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's yeah. So I'm just really grateful that you're here, and I'm grateful for everything that you share. For the alcoholic that's still out there suffering, perhaps never been to the rooms or has come and gone, and is listening today, what do you have to say? Uh, there's hope. There's hope for the alcoholic. I, I, being an alcoholic didn't excuse my behavior, but it certainly explained it. There were ways that I see the world that you relate to as an alcoholic. And normal people don't really think about drinking or not drinking all the time. And the things that they do sometimes as an alcoholic we can't relate to. And when I found the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I found that you guys thought like I did. And alcoholism, yeah, explained it, but there were things that I had to do. When I saw the steps, I thought, oh, my God, what a good structure for your life. I mean, once you start doing the steps, you start thinking about the steps. You are what you think about most. And when you come into Alcoholics Anonymous, you start thinking more about the solution than the problem. And the solution gets bigger and the problem gets smaller. And the more you come here, the more it influences you. And so you be it's trickery. You become a better person in spite of yourself. And even though there was days that I stayed sober, but I was an asshole, I still stayed sober, and so it gave me opportunities to work on, you know, the thievery. You know, when you, you sober up a, a drunken horse thief, you get a sober horse thief. So you have to—the steps are what are designed to really make yourself a better person. And it really does improve all of your relationships. So hang in there. <laughs> what do you do today for your sobriety? Today— um, I have these habits of reflecting on I don't forget my last drink and I don't forget my last meeting. And the habits of really self-examination, I think about God a lot because I think about, you know, what would he have me do? I think about my effect on other people. I think about how distant I have been in the past and how I want to clear the wreckage so that I can be available to other people. When we are so preoccupied with our own stuff, it's really hard to feel our presence. And so I try to do that on a daily basis because I know I'm being guided by this power greater than myself. And a lot of times I can reach people on the other side through my higher power instead of trying to control them from anything that I do. And that's the, that's the best thing that's ever happened is that I can let go. 
it's like it's like I don't have to fix anything. I don't have to, you know, do anything to to help everybody. I can be somebody, and it's okay. It's like I I don't have to, you know, fix the world. And so my relationships have all got better because of that. And, you know, I, I pray and I meditate. I do what the steps have taught me. I really do that. And there's different ways of doing it. I heard in a meeting that, you know, you put your shoes under the bed and that way you have to kneel down to get them. And that reminded me to pray. I did that for a while. I do it now automatically. There are just ways that I developed habits that really help. And you will in Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you for your chair. I'm very grateful for your time and for everything that you bring to our Saturday meeting. And every time you speak, I'm listening 100%. And every time I speak, I know you're listening. You're the happiest person I know. So when things go bad, I'm so glad. Because I'm like, oh, he's human. This is good. He's human. Because you have such a strong spiritual program. And you so subtly, subtly bring it to the rooms. And it shows in how you handle life. You're a great example. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And I really appreciate you coming into, you know, the meeting and coming back because it's really been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you, Stuart. For more information, read the first 164 pages of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous or visit keepcomingback.net.